0: If love is the greatest of an exhaustive list of virtues in 1 Corinthians 13, we better know what the Bible means when it says love. are great, you go and have a seat. It is good to be with you all in the house of the Lord. Um, man, I am excited about getting into this next series. It has been something that I've been talking about actually with my kids for a long time. And, uh, and I have been thinking about how to like, how do I do this on a Sunday morning in church? And so since this is an introduction Sunday, I get this is first hour, right? So out of all of our services that we do at all the different locations, this is the earliest one. So this is the service where most of you are like still waiting for the caffeine to kick in. You're maybe a little sleepy. Let's try. Good morning. All right. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Come on. For those watching online, I know that's the early service, but but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. We need you, I need you to engage this morning. It is going to be a thinking morning. Uh, Definitely want to engage your mind. And it's because it's an introduction morning, an introduction to this whole series on what love is, on what love is. Uh, The other thing I want you to do really quick is we are going to start this coming Tuesday uh, on our podcast. We're going to answer questions that you all might have about the sermon. So if you want to pull out your next steps cards, even here at the beginning, if you have a question like, hey, how do I apply this? What does this mean? What did you mean by? um, Or could you help me understand better? And the common questions that we get, we're going to try to answer Tuesdays on the podcast. So throughout the sermon, if a question comes to mind, write it down, and at the end of the service, when you turn in your Next Steps card, just bring another card with you that has a question on it, and we'll do our best to try to answer those. Uh, So heads up for that. I'm excited about it. I think it should be a lot of of fun. Two things back-to-back that uh, happened to me. This is maybe 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, I was... Little more than ten years ago, is when I was still in Dallas, and uh, we were down in Dallas, a little more than ten years ago, I was in my office, and uh, a lady came in, or a, a lady came in, and she sat down. This has happened numerous times. I could tell this story, over and over on a Sunday, and have it represent different people. But I had a lady come into my office, sat down, and she basically said something along the lines of, "My husband has fallen in love with somebody else, and she, and he is going to leave us." So husband, fallen in love with somebody else, and he's going to leave us. So we cried together, um, prayed together, and eventually what happened in our modern world is this news breaks out on social media, right? I mean, that's inevitably what happens. So it gets out on social media, and the general consensus in social media is that the husband is a jerk, and if he really loved that family, he would go back to him. That was the general consensus, if the husband who was leaving the family really loved them, he would go back. That was a general kind of acceptance on social media when you saw the responses. It wasn't but a few months later, I had a husband then come into my office, and he shared with me that his wife was leaving him for another woman. And so we prayed together. He was really heartbroken about it. And inevitably, that information gets out on social media, right? That this lady was leaving her husband for another woman. And I know that the friend group and circles are different, right? I get that that's true. But the general consensus on social media was not, you jerk, go back to your husband. It was, good for you. You be you. Way to pursue what you love. Stan, it was crazy how different the story was. Like the general, the general idea was basically the same. There was a family unit, one person leaves it. But the cultural response on what the loving thing to do and the supportive thing to do from a kind of general cultural lens was so very different. I want to talk about love. I want to talk about love. And I think it's important before we get into this series to acknowledge that words change. What we mean by words, it changes over time. In fact, uh, if you, I, I like it, I like history a lot. I like history a lot. Uh, if you look at words through history, it's fun. I've done this a number of times over the years where you'll kind of go and, and look at how words shape. They, they kind of reshape over the years. Let me give you a few examples of this. The word naughty, the word naughty, Naughty literally used to mean, so if you go back, I like reading old literature, if you go back and you read the word naughty in a book that was written a long time ago, naughty meant nothing. Like, that kid's naughty, what it meant was that kid didn't have any money, didn't have anything. Now when you use the word naughty, it doesn't mean you don't have anything, it means you're like morally corrupt in some way. Like something's bad or off in you, words change. Another example that I thought I'd share with you is the word flirt. Flirt. So flirt literally used to mean, so if you go back and you read kind of an old English book, um, one that was written a while ago and hasn't been kind of retranslated or updated, I guess would be the way to say it. Flirt literally meant to flick away. So like you'd read a book and it would be like, the boy sat by the river and he flirted with the rocks. What it meant was he was flicking them like this. Flirt used to mean flick away. Now flirt does not mean that. Right? Flirt now is like, pseudo-romantic, trying to get to know somebody, it's definitely changed. The word has. Uh, Not just the word flirt, I'll give you a couple more. The word senile. Did you know the word senile? If you go back and read some of the older English books, right, you read through them. The word senile just meant mature. So you could go to an older person and go, boy, you are senile. And it could literally be an enduring phrase, and so, an endearing phrase. And so like uh, in this too, you would even read where they would use senile to describe somebody that had a lot of experience with something. So like our, this is, you know, more of our older folks come to this service. So in this service, you are most senile with the word of God. That, that used to be a huge compliment. Don't do that now. So after church, don't walk around and be like, you're senile with Jesus, you're senile with it. It doesn't mean the same thing. Now it means like your mind's not working well. You don't really understand what's happening. It doesn't mean maturity in the same way. Uh, here's another one that's kind of interesting. The word meat. So like when the, you read books from a long time ago, like the old Robin Hood stories, and they had meat and drink. Meat meant any kind of solid food. Now meat literally means like, flesh of an animal but it didn't mean that when you read it in books from a long time ago even like fiction books from a long time ago you know knights of the round table and robin hood the words changed the words changed Sometimes words lose their meaning not just because of the progress of time. Sometimes words lose their meaning for us because they don't translate well from language to language. And I know this even in the little tiny bit that I know about Spanish. I, I don't speak Spanish, right? When everybody comes, people come to me and speak in Spanish, I say, no habla espanol, por favor. My only Spanish is high school Spanish, which doesn't really mean anything I've discovered in the real world. Uh, and so, but I have learned enough Spanish to know that words, don't always translate well from one language to another, and this is also true biblically. Let me give you an example how we lose the understanding. Matthew 5, 28 through 30. Are you ready for this? This is one I have seen some wild things come out of over the years. Matthew 5, 28 through 30. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully with intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's some strong language. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go to hell. Now listen, if we really took this as it was translated without understanding historical context, there should be a lot more weird looking people in church. <laughs> and if this really was about sexual purity, they're chopping off the wrong stuff. I hope this is okay on a Sunday morning. I should have asked for permission, Leslie, to share that last line. So what is this about? What is this text about? Well, this is important. The word looks, like if you go back and you look at that Greek word in context and literary language, the word looks literally means to plan, to put together a strategy for. So it's saying to the person, hey, if you notice a girl is pretty, like, oh, she's pretty, that's not what the word means. The word literally means to strategically come up with a plan, to run that individual down and take what you want from them. It's more strategy and intent and effort we don't have a good word to translate that into, so it just translates into the general word, looks. Another part of this, too, that's really important is right eye and right hand. Now, if it's all about sexual purity, why are they not paying attention to the parts that deal with intimacy? Because the word right eye in the greater Greco-Roman Mesopotamian area, that phrase right eye means what you let into your mind, what stimulates your thoughts, And the word right hand means what you do with your life. So the text literally means, and again, I've used this before in church, like if I was to write the phrase down, it's raining cats and dogs outside, and a thousand years from now somebody found my letter and they'd be like, whoa, Pastor Mike thought that dogs and cats were falling from the sky. No, it's a phrase that means it's raining hard. The right eye, or cutting out your right eye and right arm are phrases meaning if there is something in this world that's causing you to plan lustfully to do things to other people, you remove it from your life, whatever it takes. If your cell phone is causing you to lust, get rid of your cell phone. Right? The other side of it is your right hand. If you're going to places and participating in things that cause you to live in sin, you remove those from your life. It's better to go to heaven with less business deals and less modern tools and less than to go to hell. But you miss the intent of the text because languages don't always translate well either. The meaning of words Really, really matters. Maybe the way to say it would be this. Understanding what the Bible intended to say when it uses a word is extremely important to understanding the heart of God. It is. It's extremely important to understand what the words mean. So with this in mind, what about love? What about love? Let me ask just a couple of questions. Okay, just rhetorical. Again, this is the opening sermon. What does it actually mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Does loving your neighbor mean open permission, cheer them on and encourage them in whatever they want to do? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Luke 10, 27. Or what about this from the same text? What does loving yourself well actually look like? What about this? What does it actually mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? What does that actually mean? What are we actually doing there? What about this, man? 1 Corinthians 13, that whole text that was read earlier. If love is the greatest of an exhaustive list of virtues in 1 Corinthians 13, we better know what the Bible means when it says love. If it's the top of the virtue list, we better really understand what that word love actually means. What about even this one? What does it actually mean to love your enemy? What does that actually look like? See, I have a, a thought. Because the word love doesn't always translate well Because we have a few thousand years between the author and their context and history and different culture, what we tend to do is we read the Bible, it says, love your enemies, and we apply our modern pop culture view of the word and we put that into the text. And we think the text says, love your neighbor as yourself. What we think is hallmark Your neighbor as yourself, right? Like the Hallmark movies and how they interact with the people. We think, you know, loving your kids or loving yourself, how do you love yourself well? We think pop culture psychology TV show yourself when it says to, you know, love, understand what it means to love God and love yourself well before the Lord. We don't know what it actually means. And this has put the church in a really weird place. It's put the church in a really weird place. And so we have churches right now that are divided in culture, and the reason they're divided is because they don't know what the words actually mean in the text anymore. So you have some churches that really believe love is open permission. When you love somebody, you let them go where they want, do what they want, have what they want, and you cheer them on as they do it. So you have some churches that are all out open permission. Do what you want, pursue what you want, live how you want, it's all good. Come as you are and stay as you are, almost. And then you have other churches that are like, well, that's not right, but they don't have a good way to interpret it, so they end up being like, I mean, literally protesting constantly. And we gotta figure out what in the world love actually means. So, as best as I can tell, love defined by modern culture most often means permission. Love by modern culture most often means permission. If you love somebody... You're going to cheer them on and encourage them as they go do whatever their hearts want. You be you, you know. Set your heart free. Usually, and again, hang with me, I know you got to think this morning. Usually, culture seems to think, usually, culture seems to think what is most loving is most permissive. So if you tell someone they are wrong, if you tell someone they are wrong or refuse to support them, it's seen as unloving or even abusive in our modern culture. Do you see this? Okay, now now hang with me. Lord, in your name, I pray that you would help us to think clearer than we usually think. Help us to understand, give us divine understanding Help us to step outside of this modern temporary world and view it, God, maybe through your lens even clearer. Especially as we get into some of this deep stuff in your name. Amen. All right, hang with me, hang with me. Here we go. This makes the fulfillment of individual desires or appetites, so having my desires or appetites fulfilled, it makes that the prime definer of what is right and good to an individual. Do you see it? And the implication is we must all support this in people, whatever their heart desires, whatever they want to do, whatever they want to consume, you know, whether it be about sex, whether it be about how they spend their money, whether it be about how they treat individuals, we're supposed to support and encourage and cheer them on. We're supposed to do that, right? So so hang with me. Hang with me logically here for just a moment. If love is practiced by giving open permission and what is abusive or what is abuse practice is inhibiting somebody's desires, don't miss this logic. Every permission given love will eventually inhibit another person's desire and become abuse, We're going to get to some examples in a minute because I know this is deep. I know it's deep. Bear with me. This is the most complicated of all the sermons in this series. But you've got to see the problem before we can understand the solution. So, what this means is love by practice is abuse in modern culture. That's what happens. So, the dad, we're going to get to some of these examples. The dad who falls in love with another woman, the dad who falls in love with another woman sets his love free at the abuse of the family he leaves behind. And if he doesn't go pursue that other woman and says, nope, I'm not going to be with you, then she's hurt and doesn't get what she wants and she feels abused. That's how crazy we've gotten in modern culture. Who should we celebrate? Who is the abused victim in this situation? It's really hard to tell. And culture changes its perspective on a lot of these, right? So so hang with me here. The mom who embraces a new sexuality causes deep pain to the child and husband she walks away from. Do you see it? Who should we celebrate? Who is abused in this complicated situation? Do you see the problem? Today, today we begin a journey discovering what the word love means when it is used in the Bible. What does the word love mean when it is used in the Bible? All right, bear with me. Again, I know it's a lot of information and it's deep. Uh, Here's the crazy catch to all of this. There is some truth to even the modern perspective. Hang with me. Love does include some level of permission, does it not? I mean, even the perfect, even the perfect Garden of Eden, even in the perfect Garden of Eden, even in the perfect Garden of Eden, there was a tree they were free to eat from. You see it? And the other part of this, too, is we all know writing a note that says, I love you to myself, it isn't nearly as meaningful as someone who chooses to love us by choice. Like if I go home or you go home right now on your computer and you say, you know, get on there, pull the screensaver up, you know, the old screensavers, you put little messages on there. And you type the screensaver, it says, boy, you are such a handsome fellow, Mr. Kola. I love you so much. I'm so glad that, you know, you are a part of this home. And I write this wonderful message to myself. Every time I go in and sit down on my computer and I see my message to myself, it isn't all that meaningful. I wrote it to me. But when Leslie chooses me, it's so much more powerful. So somehow in the practice of love, there is the freedom to choose it or not to. The other piece of this puzzle that's really important is I think a lot of modern people believe that love is positive, it's like a positive emotion and feels good, but love also can be painful. We're going to talk about this a lot. I mean, the most powerful expression of love in history was a torture device, the cross. So what exactly is love? I'm going to invite Alyssa up and Josh up and we're going to be done. Again, this is only an opening. It's only an opening. So my plan is to leave you with lots of questions on purpose. Over the next few months, over the next few months, the more conservative among us will find that love requires a freedom, a freedom of choice they would prefer to reject. Right, like the far right, strong, we wanna legislate everything. You know, make it impossible for anybody to ever choose anything that doesn't align with the Bible. There was a tree in the garden. And hang with me. And the liberal among us, love you. The more liberal among us, will discover that love will cost them way more freedom than they would ever like to give. And so wherever you sit, we're all going to grow together. We're gonna grow together over the next 10 weeks. We're gonna grow together. My goal is to not tell you what you want to hear primarily unless you just really wanna know what the truth is in this. My goal is to try to represent what this agape love actually is. So at least you'll know what it means when the Bible uses the word. All right, a couple of uh, important things to remember as we work through this, uh, maybe some structural pieces for the next 10 weeks. Our scripture, our scripture for the next 10 weeks will be 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 5. 6, 7, and 8, and it's actually only the first couple words in verse 8, which means we're going to go really fast and learn a whole lot in a little, itty-bitty, tiny piece of text, way deep. Think Indiana Jones, right? We're going to do some historical research. We're going to go back. We're going to look, uncover rocks. What did they mean? Where was this word used? What does this mean for us today? How can we interpret this? We are going to slow way down. This is old school, like, inductive Bible study. It's an exegetical preaching. I mean, we're going to be in the word deep in the Word. Sometimes we preach and it's like a big overarching kind of meta-theme of the Bible. Sometimes we work through the Word of God and we slow way down and go really into some Sundays are literally going to be a word. We're going to spend all morning looking at a word in the Bible. One word. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. All right, second thing I would want to lay before you is this. It will be a compare and contrast approach. So like modern, ancient, modern, ancient, compare and contrast, modern and ancient. We're gonna give more of our energy to the ancient. So it will be more historical than it will be sociology modern, but it is gonna be a compare and contrast. So just be aware of that beginning next week. Number three is this. Consider attending for the next 10 weeks. I know, I read the stats on, uh, this is kind of crazy. I read the stats for not this church, but like the capital C church. And uh, right now, pop culture, you are a fully committed, according to the pop culture research, committed person in a church if you attend twice a month. Compare that with like your parents or grandparents' generation. Man, when they went like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and they drug you to, now it's like, you just got to pop in twice a month and, and you're good. Bear with me. These sermons build on each other. I really need you to encourage, I really need to encourage you to try to make the next 10 weeks. For 10 weeks, give me 10 weeks. Be consistent, be present, and let's put these puzzle pieces together. The last thing I would say, kind of with the structural piece, is this ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Again, we will do a podcast the Tuesday following each Sunday service trying to answer them. And now the podcast, again, it's not just one service. So the podcast is gonna be us trying to answer questions from all the locations that may come in. So we're gonna try to take the top questions that appear and try to address them on Tuesdays. So if you have a question, just grab an extra next steps card and fill it out. All right, a couple final thoughts and we'll be done today. I had a good friend of mine that does the hiking on the Appalachian Trail. And and I've done this too. Like, I I just do day hikes with my five kids and, and my wife. We've not done, like, you know, a month at a time on the Appalachian Trail, but there are people that have. Anybody here ever done, like, weeks at a time on the Appalachian Trail? Anybody? Oh, one, two, three? Okay, that's cool. I've not. I've done day hikes. I've done, I've hiked most of the, uh, of the the Smoky Mountain National Park, but it's all been day hikes. So we go and we stay at a place and we drive and hike for a day, then come back, then go hike, and then come back. I've been told people that have done long hikes that about day, now those that have done this will be able to confirm this or not, but a good friend of mine told me about day seven or eight, where you've been on the trail day after day after day after day, you begin to have this emotional purging happen. Like, all the noise from the world, it's kind of taken away. You know, you're not making phone calls. You don't have access to a phone. Uh, And the longer you're on the trail, you kind of break apart from your group, he said. So you kind of start walking. So you'll spend hours and hours and hours by yourself on a trail. And he was like, yeah, I feel like it's about day seven or eight, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little later. But you start, like your mind's just racing and you're thinking about your disappointments and you're thinking about your desires and you're thinking about where you're at and you're thinking about your kids and you're thinking about, you know, your home and your future and um, where you come from and your past and your upbringing. Like your mind is so full and then you just go through the season where there's an emotional purging. He's like, man, I literally, I've never seen this guy cry. He's like, I literally spent like two days just walking and weeping uncontrollably on the trail. Emotional purging. And then he said this, it was interesting. He said, once I got past the emotional purging, all of a sudden it was like I could see the world better. And I found myself, in fact, his, the way he said it is the first time it happened, uh, I remember walking on this ridge. And so now it's day like 10, 11, 12, you know, and he walks out on this ridge and he was like, man, it's so beautiful. And he said, it dawned on me, how still my mind was and how it gave me the ability to see how beautiful the trail was. You had to get all the junk out before you could see how beautiful it was. The ancient Hebrew people had a word many of you know. It's the word shalom. Shalom. It isn't merely the lack of conflict it means you're also filled up with good things. So when people say shalom, they're not just saying, hey, I hope you don't have conflict. When they would say the word shalom, what they meant was, I hope you don't have conflict and I hope you're filled up with good things. Not just the absence of bad, but the presence of good. Over the next number of months, We will find love as defined by the Bible, right? As defined by the Bible, it is about being truly made whole. At times, it is a purging, and at times, it is a filling. But in the end, it's you made complete. So at times, love is going to demand from you. And at times, love is going to fill you up. But in the end, its prime goal is you made complete. Okay, so I just want to say this really clearly. I am doing this series not to shame our modern world, but to offer a better world. to offer a better one. Lord, in your name, I know this is an introduction, it's heavy information. People always like more stories and emotional, sometimes you just, we gotta gotta learn, we gotta learn. But I pray today that you would till up in our hearts what society has made hard or confused and you would give us God, you would give us the ability to to have planted deep in our soul a transcendent definition of the kingdom of God. Do not leave us the same. Help us. Help us to remember. Help us to see and envision a better world. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps.